Welcome to Urban Forum with your co-hosts Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Uh, we're going to go to our first guest right away. That's Estella Ortega, the Dynamic Executive Director of El Centro de la Raza. Uh, on Saturday, they'll have their annual gala at the Washington State Convention Center. And it was 47 years ago that certain people went into Beacon Hill School, which had been abandoned for a number of years, Amen. and discovered it, just like another person discovered America. Anyway, Estella, <laughs> welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with Eddie and Hayward. So why don't you uh, uh, give our listeners a little, a little historical background about the organization itself, and it's really grown exponentially over the years. Well, thank you so much, Eddie. And it certainly is always an honor and a privilege to be on your show um, and giving your audience um, always, I think, a, a multiracial aspect of who, you know, the progressive movement is in uh, Seattle. So a little bit of a background of El Centro de la Raza. As you mentioned, tomorrow, October the 11th, is the 47th um, anniversary of El Centro de la Raza, and we always pay tribute to communities of color and you know, our, our white allies um, in supporting the occupation where Latinos would have a place, they would have a home, we would belong um, in this city. And were it not for that support, certainly El Centro de la Raza would not be here today. And we never forget that. We're cognizant of it. Um, we make many decisions on, you know, every day thinking about how do we build multiracial unity and become stronger. Um, and that has been a part of um, our, our success. You know, when, when black, brown, yellow, and white people come together, we can do um, incredible things. And that was the victory uh, for the El Centro de la Raza building. And more now than ever, we need um, all of our peoples coming together to um, defeat Trump, you know, obviously, um, and win back um, the White House for the people and not, you know, for the uh, very elite um, in our country. So I have some good news to share. And, you know, and, and I, you know, I don't think it's, it's arrogant to say this, but when we occupied El Centro de la Raza 47 years ago, we knew that we were making history. We knew that clearly. And, you know, we have saved almost every single paper that meant anything in our history. And we'll be talking to the University of Washington soon about taking our archives. And so with that being said, we were just notified um, several weeks ago that El Centro de, de la Raza, because of its history um, and that it was a multiracial coalition of people working together and everything that we've done in those 47 years, we now are on the National Register of, of Historic Places in our country. Well, congratulations. And, congratulations. Yes, we're extremely proud of that because one, it recognizes the contributions of Latinos in Seattle, you know, in King County, um, and even our nation. And we could not have done that without that multiracial coalition of black, brown, yellow, and, and white. And so um, we will be having a celebration. We've got to be coordinating with, you know, the governor's office and 
the Commission on Latino Affairs on, you know, how we're going to celebrate this. But we're extremely, extremely um, proud of that. So on October the 12th, which is Saturday, it is our biggest fundraiser of, of the year. And we're raising, you know, money for our programs. We have 43 different programs in the areas of children and youth, um, human and emergency services, skill-building programs, obviously housing and economic development, culture, and um, the advocacy work that we do. And so we'll also be awarding 10 scholarships to young Latinos who are either going to college or, you know, already in college and, and need help. So we're very excited about doing that. And then obviously we have two young Latinos that we're honoring with the Roberto Maestas Legacy Award. There's a young man by the name of Jake Prendes and a young woman. Her name is Monica Mendoza. Um, and both of them have been connected to El Centro de la Raza in their early, early years. And so it makes that um, um, very special to be honoring them with um, the, the Roberto Maestas Legacy Award, which means that they are continuing to do community organizing and being active in the community and always, you know, with a multiracial focus. Um, I'd like to talk about, and of course the event, the event is always lots of fun. It's very festive. Staff work year round um, to make sure that it's going to be fun and exciting uh, for people while they are contributing to the organization. Um, wanted to focus on two programs so that our audience, because El Centro is so, you know, we have so many programs and you like wonder like, oh my God. Um, but two programs that I would like to focus on is to talk about our small business development program that clearly has taken off like wildfire um, in terms of helping so many individuals um, start a business, grow a business, or get certified um, to um, compete for city and state contracts. And again, that is open to everyone. Um, we are... The program is targeted to South County, and but we will, we are still doing classes in Seattle also. And then another program that I think, um, you know, for our listeners, if you know young young people who you know who have graduated from high school and maybe they haven't figured out you know a field to go into, we have a training program to train people to go into banking. You know, basically become tellers, and you you know you work yourself up. Um, in the banking world, and um, that's in a program that also is in South County and um, in Seattle. So we invite people. You don't have to be Latino for these two programs. It's, again, you know, we always have the building of multiracial unity and providing services to everyone. And um, the other thing to let our listeners know, for those especially who might live um, in South County, El Centro de la Raza is opening up an office in Federal Way on January the 2nd. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, we will be moving a number of services out to South County. You know, our veterans, financial empowerment, home ownership. We'll be helping people prepare their taxes, um, small business development. Um, uh, we have a workforce program. We're working with 18 to 24-year-olds to find them jobs and and shore them up on their technology skills. Um, so just wanted folks to 
like think about those those three programs and whether you know young people or people who want to start um, a business. And the last thing I want to share with you, because um, I, I can talk a whole lot, <laughs> the last thing I want to share, Eddie, you know that um, we've been working for years on the history book of El Centro de la Raza. And finally, it is going to be published January of 2020. Um, it is being printed in, in you know, hardbound, and it will be marketed first to the universities, colleges, and libraries across the country. And then late summer, a paperback will be published so that, you know, that it, it's available to, you know, to everybody. Uh, so we're extremely happy about about that also. Before we go, why don't you give people uh, the website address so they can get more information about the services that El Centro de la Raza yeah. is offering, where they're located, yes. and who they need to contact? <clears throat> www.elcentrodelaraza.org. Um, and you can just... You can also, when you Google, just put El Centro de la Raza and um, we'll, we'll come up. Um, so, yes. Okay, uh, Estela Ortega, I will see you on uh, Saturday at the Washington right. Convention Center. I will not get there at 5. I have relatives in town. I'll be a little late. But I'll okay. be there in memory of my compadre and amigo, Amen. Roberto Maestas, who I'll Alrighty. love forever. He was a right-on brother. So. Okay, then, thank, thank you very you. much. All right. Take okay. Care. Okay, uh, Hayward and uh, Eddie Rye's next guest is Natanya Horace. Natanya is known for Sisters Rock the Arts, but these sisters are in dealing with issues. Matter of fact, we had the other sister on a week or two ago, Nichelle Alderson, uh, about something she was doing. So, Natanya, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with Eddie Rye and Hayward Evans. And as I promised you, uh, you have seven minutes to roll out your program. Uh, two days, a two-day event that will be happening at Langston Hughes Performing Arts Institute. So go right ahead. Good afternoon. <laughs> I'm glad to be with you today, and um, thank you so much for addressing the issues in our community by focusing the spotlights on folks like myself and others that are trying to do the good work that our community needs the most. And this is a very significant that. month, right? It is a very significant month. This is uh, National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and it's also Breast and Cervical Health Awareness Month. So, you know, there's a whole lot of going, a whole lot going on, and both of these issues impact Black and Brown communities um, disproportionately. So, we have a lot to talk about, and we have a lot of work in front of us. And Absolutely, we do. Uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was seeing your flyer, and there's going to be quite a bit of uh, individuals going. As a matter of fact. The person that got me as our treasurer for the Martin Luther King Committee, Tana Yasu, yeah. called me to make me aware of it. I see she's on the Seattle Women's Commission, and there are a lot yeah. of different organizations sponsoring these events. So why don't you share with our listeners, and people will be hearing some uh, very personal stories about domestic violence, and there'll be some other things happening. So why don't you share with us what the agenda looks like, and then let us know what days uh, they will be occurring. Well, what we have uh, done is, Yasu, who's a very good friend of mine I've known for many years, contacted me along with a couple of other sisters and that work in the community uh, on different levels. Um, and, you know, she was like, let's do some, some work around domestic violence and for shed light on it uh, for this 
for this uh, DZ Awareness Month. And I was like, that, that sounds like a great idea. So what we wanted to do was uh, gather uh, black and brown communities together to, off, um, to, to honor those who have uh, survived victoriously domestic violence, but who have not survived domestic violence, and to um, pay homage to that, but also discuss what we as a community can do collectively. So what we are doing is on um, the 16th, which is Wednesday, next week uh, at, at Langston Hughes, we will host our first event, Breaking the Silence uh, in our community um, on domestic violence. And we will have agencies from Tacoma, um, to, from, from all over uh, Washington State coming to represent um, we will be having, we'll have panels discussing the state of domestic violence in black and brown communities in Washington State. We'll have testimonials from um, folks who have been victims and they're victorious today, but, you know, they want to tell their stories now because they don't have to be silenced anymore and they don't have to necessarily suffer with the guilt and shame of being a, a victim of violence. Um, we have youth groups that are coming. We have community organizations, local DV advocates and resources, and um, healers and therapists uh, that'll be on board. We have some local politicians that are supposed to be coming, and we have um, folks from our Native American community who uh, one of the sisters, she represents the uh, Pacific Northwest Native American tribes uh, for the U.S. Department of Health. She'll be there. She's also a spirit uh, dancer for her Native American community, so she'll be there to um, shine a light on it, but to also talk about healing and trauma as well, because, um, as you know, this is a very traumatizing issue, and it is a generational historical issue for our community uh, as well. It is something that we've always suffered with. It's a normalized issue, unfortunately. It is generational. It is a very stigmatized issue that, you know, it's kind of like saying, Oh, well, we're going to do HIV testing. Well, the moment you say that, everybody runs the other way, you know, because there's a lot of stigma associated with it, and it's just not something that we talk about. And and if we don't talk about it, we can't move towards a solution. And the name uh, of the event also, is Breaking the Silence in Our Community. Hayward? Yeah, now, uh, uh, Latonian, what, what type of uh, resources are going to be available to victims of violence? Because just like you said, there's a stigma attached to it. And so we want to make sure that these people are speaking up. So is there going to be outlets for uh, potential or for victims of violence there? Absolutely. When I say we're going to have uh, organizations, we're talking about black and brown organizations that are doing the work. They're like the, the, the underground railroad, so to speak. And we say that because they don't get the mainstream awareness happening. Um, most folks really don't know because we're not in mainstream domestic violence services, which is a very good thing. Um, to some degree, because that's the way we have to operate to serve our community, right? We get those calls in the middle of the night that uh, the, the crisis line doesn't get or the police don't get or these major agencies don't get. They call that sister they know that's going to be there and standing in the trench with them and guiding them to resources. But these are organizations that are on the ground, in the trenches, that I'm talking about Somalian, I'm talking about Native American, I'm talking about Latinx, I'm talking about African American. We're talking about you know, the, the diaspora, we're talking brown and black folks who are the most marginalized when it comes to this issue. And they'll be there to render services and provide resources for those who are either traumatized or re-victimized or haven't gotten the resources they need. Like I said, we're going to have healers and therapists in the room that do this for a living that look like them. 
Now you and they're going to be able to, hey, triage them off. You don't got to, you know, for those that want to tell their story in front of everyone, they, they will have an opportunity to do that because oftentimes people don't feel heard, right? They suffer in silence. Yeah, now so this, we're breaking that silence. Well, we think that's great. Now, this is in recognition of National Domestic Violence Month. And now, are there going to be people there for men? Because there are also men who are victims of domestic violence. And a lot of times that's never taken into consideration. Well, let me tell you this, sir. I've been a domestic violence advocate for over 20 years. And what I can tell you is um, men are victims of violence as well. The difference is when you look at the data and who's dying from domestic violence homicide, it's African-American women and Native American beings the most. However, it's an issue for our men as well. It's an issue for our young boys as well. Um, there's data now, recent data that says 63% of uh, young men who uh, go to kill others is because they're protecting their mother. Mm. I'm a survivor of violence. I totally get that. I totally understand it. So this is not about men bashing or excluding men because our men are a part of the solution. Oh, no. I was, I was trying to say that they're going to they're gonna be welcomed at the event. They will be more than welcome. Absolutely. Excuse me if I didn't make that clear. It's welcome to all of our community because what we know is that we can't resolve any of our issues that resolve, revolve around our community unless we as a community come together. And that means everybody, right? That means the elders, that means the young folks, the middle of the road folks, men, women, and you. Now, Latanya, before we uh, uh, give us uh, our listeners, this program repeat on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock on the station and also, it, it streams live on the Internet, and it will be archived on UrbanForumNW.com website. People can go and hear your interview. But before we go, I'd just like, to, if you could, if you could give uh, the location and the times and dates uh, of uh, breaking the silence in our community during National Domestic Violence Month. So the first day will be next Wednesday at Langston Hughes Cultural Arts Center from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The next event following that will be on Saturday the 19th at Tilt Farm, which is in South Seattle, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And also, let me say that these are kid-friendly events. We will have activities for our, our, our youth and our kids. So children are definitely welcome, as well as our men folks. Let and, me make that clear. And, and we're going to say the gay and lesbian community, too. Anybody who... Uh, who's been a victim of domestic violence or potentially might be a victim, should come up. And just for people to get educated, very serious exactly. topic. And let me just let me just uh, finish with this. We, we welcome everybody. What, what we know is that many folks are alienated, marginalized, and put in positions where they don't feel they fit in anywhere. But, but we understand that, and our objective is to embrace all of, uh, all of those folks and go. give them a, a stage and a platform to speak their truth, to get the support resources they need. So we're for everybody. Okay, Latanya, I mean, we're out you? of time. <laughs> want to thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you and the sisters uh, only in this, not only right. Rock the Arts, but every Thursday night the sisters rock, be rocking the arts at Rumba Notes Lounge too. Okay? <laughs> yes, we do. All right, now. All thank right. you very much. See you this evening. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Okay, our next guest is Toshiko Hasegawa, Executive Director of the Washington State Commission on Asian Pacific American Affairs, and they're the lead organization along with the Members of Color Caucus of the House and Members of Color Caucus of the Senate and coming up with a uh, people, uh, people of Color Legislative Summit on Saturday. Toshiko Hayward and Evans, I want to welcome yeah. to Urban Forum Northwest, and why don't you share with our listeners what's going to be going on. 
Good evening, Eddie. This is Hoshko. I'm the executive director of the Peace on Asian Pacific American Affairs, and I'm so excited to share with everybody that the POC Legislative Summit is happening this Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at various locations around Washington State. Really what it is, it's a chance for members across communities to gain an awareness of the issues that are impacting other communities that they might not know about otherwise, unless they're to sit down, share space, and intentionally connect. Um, and it's not just about communities of color having opportunity to connect um, and potentially collaborate, but it also puts the members of color caucus, both the House and the Senate MOCCs, on notice about the issues that are going to be coming down the pipeline from the legislative summit. This is the second time this has gone on, and, um, and it happened originally because communities felt like they didn't have an opportunity to influence the legislative process. It moves really quick. We're going to be a short legislative session coming up. And so um, it's just a really good opportunity for folks to get ahead of the ball and, um, and be able to connect. We've got 350 people representing different organizations serving communities of color registered um, at 10 different locations across Washington State, including Seattle and Renton. So we're really excited about it. Um, the last thing that I wanted to mention about it is that regionally, so Spokane, Yakima, South Puget Sound, County, Pierce County, folks are going to get the chance to identify five to ten top issues. So maybe they could be a legislating um, advocacy force together. Really exciting. Okay, yes, we see the locations. I, I wanted Hayward to comment on, yeah, but on also, the location. Uh, Toshika, first, thank you for being here. I just wanted to find out. So from that, we're going to be able to have some priorities so that all the commissions of color go in collectively for this legislative session. Is that part of of what's being developed now? It's not building um, a, a legislative priority list for the ethnic commissions. It's building a legislative priority list that reflects the values of community for entities such as the various ethnic commissions and the members of the color caucus to consider. Um, but it's really important to note that everything is community-led and that all the different legislators uh, are accountable to their separate constituencies so it can't actually prescribe anything to any legislator but um, it is an organizing tool for communities to be able to put each other and their elected and appointed representatives on notice so very much so there's going to be a public list of uh, legislative priorities that will be published uh, for public consumption um, and the way the community uh, sees fit to, to yield that as a tool is absolutely everybody's prerogative. Um, and last year, we did see legislative um, elected representatives champion some of the issues that came up on that. Uh, one example of that is the Keep Washington Working Act that so many communities came across and ended up advocating for. Um, and, and now that's an implementation phase. Another one is police accountability and implementation of 940 to speak to independent investigations into deadly force incidents. So it's really important that we have these um, inclusive conversations and it absolutely can be a tool to take important issues forward well i, I like the idea that uh, the house and senate peoples of color i mean members of color caucus are the sponsors of the event because uh, i think that's very impactful when you have uh, those elected officials standing behind uh, your commission because <laughs> i know you're doing all the work <laughs> why don't you share with our listeners about the various locations how and where they can participate 
Definitely. Um, and I, I would say that if it is not for the leadership of the Senate members of Color Caucus, in particular, Senator Bob Hasegawa and his staff. We know him. Yeah, we know him. This, this wouldn't come together the way it, it, it has, either neither last year or this year. So credit where it's due. Um, the So the one that's most relevant, I think, to the listening base is the one in Seattle is going to happen at UW at the Magnuson Health Sciences Center. I'm with the Seattle University, so I don't even know where that is. But um, it's also going to be at the Renton Technical College, the Roberts Campus Center. So um, what people can do is if they have Facebook, they can go online and uh, search CAPA, C-A-P-A-A, and we will have a published list of all of these locations uh, posted at the top of our feed for folks to check out. And when it's complete, are they are they going to be assembling the information where people can access it on the Internet just to find out? what the discussions were about? Yes, affirmative. There will be minute takers at every location to make sure that they find some of the specific conversations that were going on regionally, as well as a, um, a final list of the top priorities that come out as a result of this collaborative body of work. And that will all be published um, by Senator Hasegawa. Now, will this be a webcast event where people, is, everybody will be seeing the same thing? Question. To fill in a couple gaps, the way this all works is that people are going to be at these remote locations, and they're going to be connected electronically through what we call a Zoom session. It's a high-tech opportunity for folks to have mm. a webcam and audio simultaneously, and we can actually link together in a group like video conference call concept. Um, it's efficient, it's effective, and um it's a little bit much to manage on the staff side, but last year we saw it implemented really well. Um, because of the capacity, it is a six-hour event, but there's 350 people there, which doesn't give more than, I don't know, two, three minutes for each individual to speak their piece. That's why we're really reaching out mm-hmm. to grassroots um, and organizational community leaders and representatives um, because they have some really well-fleshed-out thoughtful policy proposals, and they know exactly they're in tune with what the needs and priorities of communities okay. are in a way that's digestible and constructive. Okay, Toshiko, before we go, uh, let our listeners know how they can get access to information. Facebook.com slash E-A-T-A-A. And your office number is what? <laughs> 206 no, it's not. It's 360, isn't it? Oh, yeah. 206. Oh, it's 206 in Olympia? Oh, your Seattle um, office. I actually disconnected our Olympia desk phone, so it's only cell phones because it's easier to get a hold of us. All right, now. Uh, okay, <laughs> excellent. Thanks for taking the initiative. Thanks, Hoshiko. Thank you. And good bye luck bye. on that, and thanks for all your work on this issue. See you there. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break and come back with our next guest, Mr. Bob Armstead, after this message. Step up your commute and ride light. Sound Transit's new Capitol Hill and University of Washington Link Light Rail stations are now open. Get around town faster and more reliably than ever. Ride now from the University of Washington to Capitol Hill in just four minutes or continue on to Westlake Station in just eight minutes. Find lots of helpful information on how to ride, how to get an ORCA card, and more at ulink2016.org. Link Light Rail. More stations, more places. At the Port of Seattle, diversity is the source of possibility and strength. And we honor our diverse community by expanding opportunities for all people to share in our region's economic prosperity. 
From the seaport to the airport, we're working to support small businesses, including those owned by women and minorities, and to create quality jobs with lifelong career paths. The Port of Seattle continues to be your port of opportunity. No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, Eddie Ryan, Hayward Evans back. Let me give a shout out to our sponsors, Port of Seattle's Office of Social Responsibility, Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office, City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office. I'm waiting to hear from y'all. Uh, Concourse <laughs> Concessions with Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group LLC with the two Desert Storm veterans that did two tours of duty in, in uh, Desert Storm. First, first lieutenants, and also one received a, met, a medal of commendation, even though that doesn't mean very much when you're trying to get business. Solstice Media, Stephanie Ogle does our website. And we have uh, Bob Armstead, Washington State Civil Rights Coalition, the immediate past president of the Washington State Chapter of the National Association of Minority Contractors, and also a member of the McKinney Coalition yeah. that is working on getting that building up and serving the people real soon on 22nd and Jackson. So, Bob, give us your impressions of what you've seen so far, the meeting we had with the, the city officials. Uh, give our listeners some kind of update on what's happening, and we'll get people posted on how they can support this endeavor. Uh, first, Eddie, I, I would like to congratulate you and the committee on the progress that you've made to date. Uh, to get the legislation through the uh, Washington State Legislature, uh, to organize the events such as the meetings with the, uh, the governor's office and the city of Seattle, uh, you should be very, very, very uh, much commended for that effort. Uh, the, I, I, I'd like to make a real quick uh, historical perspective. Uh, in 1966, uh, the U.S. legislature passed the... Uh, legislation that created the Model Cities Program. The Model Cities Program was set up to to do almost exactly what's included in HB 1918. It provided a a framework and a support system so that those things could happen. Uh, Specifically, what I'm relating this to is that you have made the effort and accomplished uh, acquiring the building. Now the structure and infrastructure that needs to be put in place in order to uh, do some of the deferred uh, maintenance that was uh, allowed to happen by the former uh, owner and tenant of the building uh, in order to get the equipment, materials, and uh, all of the things inside of the building that allows you to run the many different programs uh, that will be run out of the facility requires a capital investment by a number of individuals and organizations. Uh, The Model Cities program was a federal program that was run by the city. Uh, The city of Seattle had a program, a Model Cities program, that provided many of the services that will be provided out of the uh, McKinney Center. Uh, We need the same type of of funding and support from public agencies that went into making that endeavor a success in order for the McKinney Center to be successful. We need 
public agencies uh, to step up to provide uh, financial and other support. We need community organizations to step up and provide similar types of support. And we need the private sector that will be the beneficiaries of the many training programs that the center uh, will provide uh, in terms of training prospective and future employees for those organizations to step up. Uh, in the model cities uh, era, the Department of Commerce uh, participated. Uh, the Depart Department of Housing and Urban Development was the primary organization uh, as identified in the federal legislation. But the Department of Commerce, through the Economic Development Agencies and other agencies, provided support, and the federal legislation was written so that the community groups and organizations were the leaders in the effort. Uh, the feds, the state, and the cities provided support to those organizations. Part of the difficulty that we have and have had is that 40 years later, uh, we have no public organizations maybe wanting to provide the same level of service, but attempting to do it in a way that is not most beneficial to the communities that they want to serve. Uh, in other words, they hire individuals to implement their program, as opposed to having individuals and organizations within their uh, cities or states support the community-based organizations that understand the need, that, that know the people, that have all the historical background related to what has been successful in the past when there were successes, uh, the types of, of hurdles and barriers that people uh, will face in order to take advantage of the program that will be offered. Uh, and the list goes on and on. Okay. Well, Having Bob, we, we have just about out of time, but I was going to say that on Monday, you and Hayward and uh, Sam Cameron will be getting together with a special guest. I won't say his name or his organization yet, but I want to thank you for the insight you've been providing in the meetings with the elected officials and with others. So uh, your experience uh, in this whole business development area right. is really going to be important to the development of the center and the services that we provide. So thank you, Bob. Thank I you, Bob. We appreciate you. Congratulations on your award you received last week, too, even though you were not in town. But it was well-deserved. So thank you. Congratulations. Uh, thank, thank you, Eddie. And the more we can involve people like yourself and Hayward that have experience from the past relating to how to make these types of uh, centers and other organizations in the community successful, the more successful they will be. Thank you very much, Bob Armstead. We appreciate you. Thank you very much. Okay, our next guest is uh, Madam Chair Sade Moore of the Seattle uh, King. I throw King County in there. Yeah. Seattle King County, Martin Luther King Jr. Organizing Coalition. I call her Dr. Moore. Okay, Hello, doc doc Dr. Hey, Moore. Okay. How are you? All right, we're just looking for an update on where the, the January 20th, 2020 uh, CLMLK celebration, uh, the progress on that, uh, and you can fill in any of the details that 
that we might miss. So, so planning is still ongoing. Um, we just had our second uh, planning meeting this past Tuesday at Langston Hughes. Um, our next planning meeting for anybody in the community or anyone in general that just wants to join in on what we're doing, um, it is on October 22nd. Um, it's at Langston Hughes. It's from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Um, we selected our theme. Um, I do not want to give any exclusives into this theme until the website is updated, okay. which will be updated this week with the theme for the 2020 March. Um, but for anyone that is interested in checking out what we've been doing um, historically um, within the MLK March and Rally, um, please visit our website at www.seattlemlkcoalition.org. Um, yeah, we've, I mean, this year, it's our second year being a coalition. Uh, it's been great. Uh, we had our meeting with uh, Garfield High School yesterday with Principal Ted Howard. And, I mean, he is just in really good spirit. He was just talking to myself and the vice chair about just the planning and the collaboration we've been doing with the schools. Um, again, the plan this year is to bring in more youth, uh, to have more youth lead to have more youth involved and interacted with um, our different subcommittees um, to hear their voice. We know that 2020 is a huge year um, just for, you know, America altogether with voting. Um, so we are just looking forward to, um, you know, the community coming in, the outpouring of love and support, um, and just for others to get involved. We're hoping that we can also uh, get more involvement from the high schools and the teams in the high schools in King County and in Seattle um, all together. So we will be working with the public schools on that just to get their involvement with volunteering, um, just, you know, in general for what we have coming up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Um, this year we've been having more and more young people turn out to our meetings, um, just want their voices heard. Um, so it, it's great. Uh, Charlotte, how many workshops are there going to be uh, this year for the, um, um, well, during the workshop portion that morning? It has not been finalized. Um, we're hoping with 2023 and 28, if we can get a couple more in, that would be awesome. Um, I know Garfield has um, been working with us on, you know, some additional uh, workshop space. So uh, that information is being relayed over to uh, mm. some people uh, on the, uh, the coalition just to make sure that they have that all, you know, marked in. Um, and we're also hoping for bigger spaces, too. So the school has just been really helpful in, you know, supporting our needs to make sure that we're able to, you know, have all those individuals that want to, um, you know, bring in those workshops uh, space available. And so how would they go about uh, uh, presenting the information to become a workshop to the organization? So, so I would say if you are interested, um, you can send an inquiry. Um, you can email us on our website, again, which is www.seattlemlkcoalition.org. Um, you can also email me, uh, Sade Moore, that's S-H-A-U-D-E-M-O-O-R-E-8-9 at gmail.com, and I'll forward that over as well. Um, so there's, there's quite, a different, or quite a few different uh, avenues to take. You can also come to one of our planning meetings. Um, and just, you know, say, you know, what you're looking to do, and then we'll get you connected to the right individual. Well, we'll make sure we announce the the, the planning meeting. And once again, you have the, uh, the uh, website one more time for people to go and visit and see the how. The website is www.seattlemlkcoalition.org. All right, now. 
Well, Sade, thanks very Thank much. You, and every Shade. week we will have somebody on. I thought I was supposed to have Christina Van Middlesworth yeah. from the Opportunity Fair on the day. But we'll get her next week. And, you know, I'm going to be contacting Sade because she's helping us with the McKinney building. Okay, that's yes, great. Yes. Well, we appreciate that, too. We need some help there and yeah. some. Uh, we need Dr. Moore's guidance and assistance. Yes, we do. <laughs> so we certainly well, appreciate it. thank you guys for your time and for having me, and I look forward to being on more uh, and just speaking with you all and with the public on what we have coming up. And, uh, again, check out the website this week. By end of week, we're hoping that the theme for the 2020 Marching Rally is up on our website. So our webmaster will be taking care of that so everybody uh, in the community is you know, in the loop on what we have coming up. All right. Shadi, thanks very much. Awesome. Thank you. you. All right. Now, okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with a few announcements after that. At the Port of Seattle, diversity is the source of possibility and strength. And we honor our diverse community by expanding opportunities for all people to share in our region's economic prosperity. From the seaport to the airport, we're working to support small businesses including those owned by women and minorities, and to create quality jobs with lifelong career paths. The Port of Seattle continues to be your port of opportunity. Step up your commute and ride light. Sound Transit's new Capitol Hill and University of Washington Link Light Rail stations are now open. Get around town faster and more reliably than ever. Ride now from the University of Washington to Capitol Hill in just four minutes or continue on to Westlake Station in just eight minutes. Find lots of helpful information on how to ride, how to get an ORCA card, and more at ulink2016.org. Link Light Rail. More stations, more places. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. All right, hey, Bernetti back, and Ari got us rocking. A uh, few things I'd like to have you pay attention to. One is that on the front page of both the Medium and the Facts newspaper is a my classmate, uh, Billy Hilliard, uh, who was a legend, and you can read all about him. It's an outstanding article uh, in the Medium. And also, I want to do a shout-out condolence to uh, Tony Hopkins' family, in the passing of his brother uh, a little while ago. I think it's John, John Hopkins. John. And then also uh, another longtime Mount Ziner, uh, Deacon uh, Jay Doyle uh, passed away, and his service will be uh, next Saturday on the 19th at 11 o'clock a.m. in Mount Zion. And uh, matter of fact, I got to know his family fairly well. He's an outstanding gentleman, and uh, I, I contributed quite a bit to, to folks. And then we also want to give a shout-out to, uh, uh, to, to to Don Hunter. Uh, Don has been selected by uh, a committee uh, to be, received, be the recipient of the Port of Seattle's 2019 Charles Blood Champion of Diversity and Inclusion Award. And, Hayward, next week we're supposed to have Don Hunter on because they got an event coming up on the 19th of this month, and her celebration will be uh, uh, October 30th from 1130 to one. 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Pier 69 at the Atrium. And Don will be granted $1,000 she can sponsor a diversity event. She can sponsor us, hey, we're yes, thank <laughs> with you. that $1,000. So we'll have Don Hunter on next week. And uh, I, I want to also say that there will not be a service I've been informed for for Bill Hilliard. Uh, and then once again, want to thank uh, the Port of Seattle's Office of Social Responsibility, Luis Navarro and Charlene Jones. Y'all have done a good job. Uh, Sound Transit, Small Business Development, Labor Compliance Office. We will have Leslie Jones on. I got a coordinator I was supposed to have on this week, but I did not get back to her. 
uh, the City of Seattle's Purchase Construction Services Office. Waiting to hear from you. <laughs> Concourse and Sessions with Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, with the two Desert Storm veterans. Did two tours of duty over there. And looked like somebody is uh, unraveling all the work they did in the White House. But yeah. what can you say? But that's Jerry Whitsett and Ron O'Neill. And then our technology is handled by our SoulSys Media. It's owned by uh, Stephanie Ogle. So, uh, hey, well, we talked with a number of folks today. We also got to mention, too, that uh, the interim uh, Public Development Authority is having their meet, uh, uh, annual meeting uh, on Saturday as well, on the 12th as well. And uh, so we got El Centro, Interim, Denise Louie, and my sister uh, Brenda's going to be in town on that day as well. So, uh, But all those events are occurring. And I want to say that uh, Interim was uh, founded by my longtime buddy, uh, uh, Uncle Bob Santos. Yeah. And uh, even if I, I got to stop by there for a minute and just pay my respects because of the fact that uh, he did a lot for me in terms of opening my eyes to a lot of issues. So uh, we really don't care about that. So, Hayward, in terms of uh, uh, I-1000, we want people to vote. We don't care what it says. Vote for I-1000. Right. Restore affirmative action. And uh, so we just want to make sure that uh, the ballots are coming out. And uh, we noticed that I noticed that the CL Times endorsed Larry Gossett. Uh, they endorsed yeah. a number of other people, too. So it should be a very interesting election cycle. And also, you know, they're going to have an event for Pat Wright over at uh, Ebenezer A&M. Also this uh, Saturday the 20th, or the, the 20th at 3 p.m., a luncheon. And that should be pretty uh, pretty nice. She well deserves all honors and accolades. Okay, you know, I think I done messed up and uh, told Anila I was going to call her. She was supposed to call me. So we're waiting to hook up with Anila Avzili and also with uh, uh, Pastor Jeff Burns. So I goofed up. I gave him some, the wrong information. And so were we able to get to Anila? Let me give you a phone number, Eric, and that might work even better. Uh, it is. Uh, Hayward, would you give the people an update on where we are with the McKinney Center right quick? Well, McKinney Center is coming along well, and uh, hopefully we're going to have the, uh, uh, they we're going to start interviews of the board of directors sometime in the next two weeks, prospective board of directors. So we're really looking forward to that. Also, we've been bringing in different uh, people from the community to do a walkthrough, do a little brainstorming of what we can do with that facility. One, we can address that educational get, uh, gap as it relates to African-American youth with programs for them, those who aren't achieving academically, but also to that older worker who's being displaced. You know, there's a lot of jobs in the tech field right now. Code Fellows and a few of the others are doing extremely well. With that older worker who's getting displaced over 40 years old, where there would be a focused program for them, six to 20 weeks that they would have uh, uh, introductory programming skills, and they can get jobs in the industry. So we're looking forward to that as well, and a dental clinic. Yeah, I see that that's coming together. we got some retired dentists who are interested in coming in yes. to, to also establish a training program. And we got commitments from various uh, public agencies to come in and deliver services right there too. Because once again, we've got to remember, African descendants of United States slaves in Washington State, and I'm doing one-tenth of one percent with any public agency. But Anila, I'm very sorry for you and Dr. Burns. Thank you, Anila. But Anila Avzili from the uh, <clears throat> Muslim Empowerment Muslim. Network. That's right. And MAPS. And MAPS. Okay. Uh, so we're on the line. Anila, are you there? 
Yes, I am here. Thank you so much, Eddie and Hayward, for having me on again. And I'm excited and honored to be on the line with uh, Dr. Jeff Burns, who's a uh, guest for a program we are doing tomorrow evening at the Muslim Association of Puget Sound at MAP. And it's really showing an example of the transformative impact that personal relationships between people of different backgrounds, including different faith backgrounds, uh, can have on, on our lives. Uh, so I, I wanted uh, Dr. Jeff to be able to share his own personal story very quickly if, if you have time for that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Okay. Jeff Burns, thank you very much. And, you know, I was it caught my eye that you were a Southern Baptist pastor and uh, you got uh, got convinced by a young Muslim boy to uh, broaden your horizon. So that's a very interesting story. Please proceed and welcome yeah. to Reform Northwest with Eddie Ryan Hayward Evans. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, okay, we'd like to have you share your story. Go ahead. Okay, yes. Well, thank you for having me. And, yes, uh, it's been 16 years now uh, since I had that encounter. I'm a, uh, I call myself a full-time peacemaker in the way of Jesus. <laughs> and uh, so 16 years ago, I hated Muslims. I was a strong Islamophobe and Christian Zionist. And and uh, I was taking, I was asked to take a, a three-month class on Islam. I did not want to take it and took it, and I started changing my view of Islam. And one day I was in a Starbucks in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I was thinking, reading some books and for the class, and I said, God, surely you do not want me to do anything about this. You've got the wrong guy. I'm, I'm, you know, I can't do this, uh, but I won't attack Muslims anymore. I won't say anything negative against them. And finally I just said, God, if you want me to be a peacemaker, you're going to have to give me a sign so clear I'll never doubt it. And a minute later, this little boy came up to my table, and he he said he wanted to buy a magic marker, and he said, "Sir, I'm here. My name is Omar, and I am here to teach you Arabic." And I just prayed for a sign, you know. And and so Omar, I just about passed out. I couldn't believe it. So Omar ripped a piece of paper out, started writing out the Arabic alphabet. Then he came around and took my hand and guided me through the Arabic alphabet. And when he was finished, all that hatred I had in my heart towards Muslims was gone. This little five-year-old child conquered my heart. And afterwards, I talked to his mother, and she said, we are so sorry. She said, we don't know why Omar did this. He was an extremely shy child. And uh, I knew why he, Omar did it. God sent Omar to come over to talk to a man who was struggling with hating Muslims to win his heart. So God used him. From that day on, I became a peacemaker. And I've been doing it now for almost 16 years, and I've been uh, bringing Muslims and Christians together to become friends. And I base the whole thing that I do is based on the core message of Jesus, which is also in the Quran, and it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, to treat other people the way you want to be treated, and if you find people along the way that you think are your enemies, do everything within your power to make them your friend. Uh, Martin Luther King once, Jr. once said, the only way to permanently get rid of an enemy is to make them your friend. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we're fighting, fighting fear now. And we do four things to live out that message. One is we become friends and we eat together, number two. And, and I tell people, we're not friends until our children are we're eating together and our children are playing together. Yes. Then we explore our faith together as friends, ask each other questions, uh, curious about each other. And then the fourth thing is, do something good in your community together. 
So next week at our church, we have 40 Muslims coming to dinner to our church. We've been doing building a bridge for a year now. Uh, when the hurricane hit last year, we got together and, and took food and stuff to help to help out with uh, families that were affected by the hurricane. And so our, my philosophy is, what can we do together? <clears throat> what can we build together? Mm-hmm. And so I just tell people, get together, eat, become friends, get to know each other, get into each other's lives, and then go out in your community instead of complaining, go out and do something together. And when you do that, it changes things. We've built Habitat Homes together. We've done all kinds of uh, uh, different projects, small groups, in, when I was in Raleigh. And so that's just my, my story in about a four-minute nutshell. And it all started by encountering a little Muslim boy named Omar who took the time to reach out to an Islamophobe and, uh, and, and show him kindness. And that thing mm-hmm. has touched so many people around the world. And that story and my and it's oh and I, I can't some one day I want to find this little guy, okay. <laughs> you know, and just tell him what that one act of kindness did to a guy like me. Okay, hey, Doctor Burns, Don't. blessed be blessed be the peacemaker and that building bridges of friendship is so uh, critical at this time this time in in the life of everybody here in America. But you're also a certified yeah. leadership coach. Can you share with our uh, listening audience a little bit about that? We have one. I'm sorry. Could you, what was the last thing you uh, said? You're a certified leadership coach. So if you could just yes, share with us. Cer- yes. Yes. I'm a, I'm a certified life coach. I'm also a, a, a life and relationship coach. I'm a certified leadership coach with John Maxwell Organization. And I also am a certified success coach with uh, Jack Kenfield. Are you familiar with Jack Kenfield? And um, he wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. So, uh, yeah, I love coaching okay. <laughs> and helping people. <laughs> Dr. Burns, we're almost out of time. I'd like to have Anita step in and give us the location and access to information for the event on on Friday. Yes, thank you again, Eddie and Hayward. So the event tomorrow evening is at the Muslim Association of Puget Sound in Redmond, uh, starting at about 6.15 p.m. with a dinner, and then we'll have a presentation by Dr. Jeff Burns and myself, and we'll have uh, table conversations and we're giving evangelical Christians in particular an opportunity uh, which they don't always get or take advantage of, which is to come and visit a mosque and get to know their Muslim neighbors. And we can have many more transformative stories like Dr. Jeff Burns uh, and really make a difference in our world. We all have the power to do that. We need more of these positive stories and positive experiences, especially at this time when we have a lot of divisiveness and the negativity and a growing industry that profits off of separation with anti-Muslim rhetoric and policy proposals. So uh, it's so important for us to be doing this. Thank you, Eddie and Hayward, for giving us the opportunity to share this one experience. Okay, I want to thank you, Dr. Jeff Burns and Anila Azili, as always, all the great work you do in the community, bringing people together and getting getting rid of bigotry in our society. So thank you very much, and I hope you have a very successful event tomorrow and an even better one on Saturday. Okay, this has been Eddie Ryan Hayward Evans with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. We'll be talking with you again next Thursday. And listen to us Friday, Saturday rather, 8 to 9, and you can also hear us on your iPhone. Thank you.